That Triathlon Show 194. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host, Michael, and on today's episode, we do a microphone flip, and I am on the receiving end of questions. So the interviewers here will be Michael Lieberson and Andrew Buckrell, who are past guests of the show, and we are in pretty frequent contact outside of podcast interviews as well. So it was a great, friendly chat that we had and the reason for this chat in particular is that uh, Andrew and Michael recently started their own podcast called the Endurance Innovation Podcast. And what we discuss in this interview with me being interviewed is a lot of that triathlon show, the genesis of it and uh, how I sort of come up with guests and topics and uh, content in general. And we also have some other topics related to just coaching, training and innovations in the endurance sports industry in general. So I hope that you will enjoy this and get some more insights into the behind the scenes of that triathlon show and uh, some of my own thoughts and philosophies. And do make sure that you go and check out the Endurance Innovation Podcast. There are a lot of great episodes, both interviews and uh, talks with just Michael and Andrew there already and more to come for sure. They are producing a very high quality podcast, so it's definitely worth checking out. Before we dive into the interview, big thanks to our sponsors. First, we have Precision Hydration. And as you are probably aware, sweating is a very, very good thing for us. It's how we regulate our core temperature and make sure that we don't overheat. And for us athletes, this is critical because when we overheat, we start to go slower. Humans are quite unique in this aspect. Most mammals and animals in general don't sweat at all. Some do, but significantly less than humans do. So we really are born for endurance. But the thing that we need to make sure is that we adequately replace our fluid losses and our electrolyte losses as well. And precision hydration help you do that. You can take their free online sweat test on precisionhydration.com and I will give you an individualized hydration strategy for your racing and training. And you can try their product for free, one box or tube, with the promo code DATTRIATHLONSHOW, all on word, all caps. Or if you've already used that code, or you want to order in bulk, then use the promo code DATTRIATHLONSHOW20, valid through the end of August, and I will give you 20% off your entire order on precisionhydration.com. And thank you to Roka. Roka are leading the way in not just wetsuits and trisuits and the like, but also now in eyewear. They have sunglasses, including prescription sunglasses, normal prescription glasses. They have blue light blocking glasses. They have various options and technologies like home try-on options, custom design. They have uh, Geeko anti-slip technology and unbelievable optics. So check out the Roka Performance Eyewear as well as, of course, the other things that they have to offer, including the wetsuits and trisuits and swimskins and the like on roka.com. That's R-O-K-A.com. And if you want to make an order, make sure that you use the promo code TTS, all caps, to get 20% off that order. Without any further ado, let's jump into me being interviewed by Andrew Buckrell and Michael Lieberson from the Endurance Innovation Podcast. 
On today's show, we have a good friend of ours, Michael Erickson, joining us. Uh, Michael is the host of the uh, the podcast, That Triathlon Show, which, which was actually the first one that Michael and I had both done an interview on, or at least I had myself. Michael, have you done anything prior to that? Uh, no, so that was that was the first one for us too, uh, for me as well, for X3. Yeah, so it was a great introduction for us both. And uh, Michael's incredibly professional, um, has an excellent podcast. And if anyone listening is not already a listener of his podcast, we highly recommend it. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thank you, Andrew. It's nice to be here. So, uh, Michael, you were actually, I think, the first introduction that I had had to podcasts. Um, I hadn't even really listened to them before being invited to your show. So it was uh, it was a great introduction. Uh, really professional way of uh, being introduced compared to well some of the podcasts I've heard now. But you've also built up quite a reputation around your your brand, and your your focus is just um, just the science of triathlon and just exposing kind of the studies and what what is the state of the art. The first question would be why did you decide to launch into podcasting? Well, so I did initially when I started being very interested in triathlon and and started to consume everything that I could about uh, triathlon and uh, and wanted to share what I learned. And as I was training and racing myself as well, uh, I, I did start a blog, actually. That was the first thing I did on scientifictriathlon.com, which is still my, my website and my domain today. But uh, I started listening to podcasts and started liking the medium a lot. I was working in engineering at the time, so I actually started to listen to a lot of business and startup uh, podcasts because I worked for a small startup company in the in the medical device space so so that's how i started to really enjoy the medium of of podcasting and it did take me quite some time to to get the courage to launch my own own podcast even though i had that in the back of my mind that it would be cool to to take give, give this medium a shot myself as well because i also had some frustrations with blogging one of the main ones was that i was way too much of a perfectionist and it started taking me like 20 hours in total to write a blog post when i needed to do all the research and do all the referencing i i sort of treated it's more like a like a, a project uh maybe not a, a full-blown master's thesis but a bachelor's thesis at least so so it was <laughs> way way over the top to be honest and and that caused me to procrastinate whenever i would need to sit down and write a blog post so i thought there's got to be an easier way and interviews with podcasts that sounds like a good thing so then i don't need to to do too much you know perfectionism i just do the interview and then that's it and and then i i publish it and that's what i eventually ended up doing so that's uh i guess the background to, to how i started with podcasting and as someone who seems to be eternally stuck writing a thesis, um, I'm working on my <laughs> PhD right now, uh, so I can completely sympathize with the, the challenge of getting up and going for writing. And I think speaking about something, it's just a little bit more natural, and it um, it gets across some points that you don't always absorb when you're reading. I agree, especially when you're having a conversation. Um, you know, when it's when you're writing something. At least I find this. I used to be have a semi-active blog that you know it's just my own voice in my own head and then i i find that even my own thoughts flow a lot better than when i'm uh, having a conversation with somebody else that, that that's uh, definitely true plus then the fact that you actually have the conversation with somebody else which means that you can get a lot of insights that you might not have thought about yourself because you're viewing it from you're of course trying to get in all the information that you can from a variety of different sources and trying to synthesize it into into something that makes sense holistically and and that's not a, a one-sided view of of any particular topic but you you're still going to have that sort of 
cognitive bias, at least in what your starting point is in how you view a particular topic. So, so it can be quite useful, especially when you do many interviews, that you get very different sides of, of the same coin from different people. And, and that gives you, I guess, a wider perspective on, on how to view different things and, and helps you form your opinion much better than just doing all the research your, yourself and trying to synthesize it that way. Oh, I love that. I think you, you, you kind of hit on a couple of things that I wanted to ask follow up questions on. But, uh, the, the one that really jumps out right now is that, that you're, you know, you're trying to challenge your cognitive bias by, by speaking with folks. And, uh, there certainly have been examples in your, um, in your show. And I've, I've listened to uh, probably most of your, I think you're up to what, 187 episodes now. Yeah, and, and that's just the numbered episodes because the first day ones are numbered differently. They are Q&A number one, two, three, so they are they're numbered differently. So in total, the total number of, of episodes that you can find, if you just count them on the, the list that they're published, it's 250 or so. Holy smokes. Okay. Well, um, 250 episodes. I think I, I clued in and around episode 30 something. Um, so, but I've heard, I've heard all those opposing viewpoints and it's, um, it's, I think you do a great job of, uh, of giving everyone the, the platform to voice them. Even if, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, it sounds like maybe you don't, uh, you don't quite, you don't quite agree with, uh, with what they're saying. Um, but it's, uh, it's definitely a, a great way I find to, round out your own understanding and also challenge some of your preconceived notions too. Yeah. Yeah. That's the idea. That, that's how I want it to work. Cool. So then in that vein, um, you know, what, uh, you, you obviously get to speak with, um, and any, if any of our listeners aren't familiar with, uh, with Michael's podcast, it's definitely worth checking out. He's his list of uh, interviewees is kind of like the who's who in, uh, in, uh, physiology and sports science and endurance sport. Um, but, um, of all the kind of the big names that, uh, you've interviewed, who was, uh, who was your favorite person to talk to? Joel Filial. That it's, it was pretty easy. I, I love this question because it, uh, it makes me think, but, but that's a, a pretty easy answer. That was episode 172. And, uh, you, you mentioned that the podcast is about the, the science of triathlon. I, I would clarify that I don't see it as just the science of triathlon. I see it as the, the science is just one part of it. Some episodes are quite technical and sciencey, but a lot of them are coaching application, uh, experience based more so than, than science based. And Joel Philol is definitely, even though he obviously knows the science, but he is a, a coach that, that uses his experience and, and it is, he's applying this in practice and, and his view on training is, is one that I really, uh, really admire and, and try to, and for, for the most part, I, I follow it myself as well. I agree with most of the things that he, he said in that interview in, in my own training and coaching philosophy. So, so that would be the one, but it was quite difficult. I, I can mention quite a few honorable mentions if, if you want to. <laughs> for sure. So, so, so let's go with the uh, three honorable mentions or, or maybe four. So I would go with Sebastian Weber. That was that was definitely a sciencey and technical episode, the first one that he yep. was on. Then John Hawley, if you want to learn about the nutrition of endurance sports, that's the, the go-to episode for sure. And Adil Tweiten was similar to Joel Philo in that it's a coaching application into, although Adil is definitely a coach that is very much in tune with the, with the science and using it perhaps more so than Joel Filial in his coaching. So, so I guess it falls a bit in between Joel Filial and some of the more sciencey episodes, but that was a great one for those, those who don't know, he's the coach of the Norwegian and national triathletes, and they have been 
been making superb progress in the in the last few years for a very tiny country so so that was definitely a, a good one and finally I, I do want to include a female interview as well so stacy sims uh on mm-hmm. female specific uh considerations like with the menstrual cycle but also different different approaches to to training and nutrition and hydration uh, that's a a very good one i think yeah, I love those. I uh, I haven't heard uh, the Joe Filial episode, um, but the other ones you listed are were, are some of my favorites too. Um, especially Stacy Sims. That was you know working with with female athletes. It's her her insights invaluable. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I think um, well with uh, Stacy, I know a whole bunch of other podcasts that have interviewed her. She always comes to the top in terms of the um, the top interviews people seem to get a lot of information from her. And I think women in triathlon, uh, in a previous episode, we'd spoken to Sarah Gross and there's a lot to discuss there. And a lot of people aren't really starting to explore that topic that much. Um, or sorry, a lot of people are starting to explore that topic, but it hasn't been necessarily explored in the past. So sometimes the science is a little fuzzy or you get, uh, limited studies that are focused on women and things like that. So it's, it's great to hear that viewpoint as well. Yeah. And I think it is good that, that she has been, making herself available for all the different podcasts. I mean, she's, she has been on most of the triathlon podcasts and, and that just helps spread the word uh, to athletes and to coaches to to get us moving in, in the right direction to to get more knowledge and, uh, and to get more of a demand as well for knowledge about the differences between between female and male athletes. So you've got some pretty big names on the, the interview list that you've done there. Uh, how did you start off? How did you decide... Uh, who the first interview was going to be and who and how to approach people and how to get their attention and, and make them realize that they wanted to talk to you and, and, and just explore the topic. Yeah. Um, it, it was quite interesting actually, because I, I started off, uh, pretty well with, uh, Joe Friel was, was one of my first or the first interview that I, that I did. And, and there were some other big names as well in, in the very first few episodes. And, and I think what I found was that triathlon is a pretty small world and there are no superstars if you will in it that they will consider themselves too too important to to be on a podcast especially you do need to follow up i learned that the <laughs> it's as they say in in uh, in sales and marketing the money's in the follow-up and, and that's definitely true for getting people on the podcast as well uh it's been quite a few times that i i get a response on the fifth or, or sixth follow-up email that I send. And, uh, sorry, I missed your previous five emails. But <laughs> yeah, I would love to get, get on your podcast. So people are quite busy, but but when you get through to them, most people do seem to to be interested. I've had a few rejections, of course, but and that's totally fine. But I think that it's just that nobody had tried to do this kind of podcast because I think there were a lot of triathlon podcasts already when I started, but most of them were interviewing professional athletes so i don't think that the coaches and the scientists and the industry people uh, that they had had really a platform to be interviewed on so it was something quite new to them to have somebody even be interested in interviewing them in 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 some cases i think at least from a podcasting perspective it it was kind of novel so so i guess that's that that's one of the main uh the main things that that comes to mind in, in answering that question i find that kind of ironic though just because it is such a scientific and and technology-based sport that um there was that gap in in knowledge and in available resources there so it's great that you were the one to step up and do it uh, it was just surprising that no one else had i created a podcast that i would love to listen to myself and i do, I do listen to it I, <laughs> myself of course and, and get to be part of the conversations but uh, but that's definitely I filled the gap, I think, that was in the market, but also 
a gap that I felt myself that that I really really needed some somebody to fill for my own podcast listening. That's awesome. We're I'm taking notes on how to you know how to uh, approach people. Uh, send multiple emails. Yeah, fortunately for us, you answered the first email, so that helped out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then uh, this is kind of a jumping back to uh, the, the beginning of our conversation about uh, opposing or maybe, you know, not necessarily opposing, but different viewpoints um, of the of the folks that you've spoken with. Has there been anybody that really stood out as really as, as changing your opinion on uh, either a coaching practice or a technology that you held pretty dear that you believe that you were right about? And then after having spoken with this individual, you um, decided to take another look at it? Yeah, um, definitely. I can't remember off the top of my head, uh, like changing anything directly. Although I have an interview coming up, uh, it's not scheduled yet, but maybe coming up in the next week or so that I think based on the conversations I've had with, uh, this, uh, female coach and scientist, she may be changing my, <laughs> my opinions. Uh, that, that's, that's may, may, that may be about to happen. The, the things, the, the interviews that comes, that come closest are the ones where I actually, I haven't really had an opinion change or realized that I was wrong about something, but just learned something completely new that I didn't re- realize or some completely new things that, that I had been unaware of. And, uh, and a couple of those episodes would be definitely Sebastian Weber. And, uh, but although that wasn't as part of the podcast interview that I did, but when I got connected with him, which was actually a, a bit more than a year before before actually interviewing him, but he's somebody who definitely changed my understanding of coaching. And, uh, and I learned quite a lot of, of things that I had no idea about, to be honest, when, when I first got connected with him and then those same exact same things we then talked about in, in that interview with him. Another one that comes to mind is, is David Tilbury Davis, who you had on in, in one of your first episodes. And he had some, uh, very practical, like application-based things in coaching that I had just never considered and that I thought were super insightful and, and that I started, uh, started using. So, so, so that was another one. Uh, I would pick those two probably as the, the main ones to come to mind. Yeah, it's funny that um, that you picked those two because those two were super influential interviews that I heard on on that triathlon show uh, for in my career. Because uh, after listening to uh, David Tilbury Davis on your show, um, it would have been more than two years ago now. I, I reached out to him and that uh, and asked if he wanted to be a coaching mentor for me, and he agreed to do that. And we've been working together in that capacity ever since. So that's all thanks to uh, TTS. Um, and, uh, and, uh, Sebastian Weber, after listening to your show again, I, uh, I'd actually had inside reach out to me a while back and, um, it was just, there was too much going on and I didn't give it too much credence, but after listening to, to the man actually speak on your show and, uh, and I think maybe I had a similar aha moment to yours, um, you know, about the way that, that they, they, they kind of, um, they really changed the way that, uh, that we can look at, at energy metabolism. And, um, we actually probably will have uh, Sebastian on our show, Andrew, in, uh, in the coming months. You're giving away all our secrets here. I know. Well, I have to, I have to tease out at least one. Um, but that was, that was my impetus for, for signing up with them and, uh, and going through the training. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm with you on the fact that that's, um, you know, a pretty radical way of, of looking at, uh, at metabolism and then as a result, coaching to improve that metabolism. Yeah, yeah. And I think that the thing that, that stands out with that one in particular is that 
it explains why certain training protocols that people have known about for years work, but it also explains why they may not work for some people, but potentially for, for somebody else. So, so it gives us much more uh, certainty in, in what sort of training to apply to, to a person, depending on what their metabolism may be like at, at this current moment. So, sure. so I think that that, that increased confidence in, in what you're doing when, when you're pres- prescribing a program, that's, that's something that, that I think is, is quite revolutionary. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's always, you know, you're, you're, uh, I'm sure you know this as a coach, but you're always operating, you know, you're trying to solve uh, a complex problem without having all the information. Right. And, uh, and certainly as you put, as you put it, uh, inside gives you a lot more, a lot more of that information and, you know, enables you to make much more, you know, enables you to make decisions based on, on uh, a fact as opposed to sort of, you know, nebulous conjecture or, or what people would assume to be best practices. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, the interesting thing there, just hearing the conversation about uh, uh, David in comparison to the inside um, technology, where David, you had mentioned, has a lot of simple but obvious things, um, obvious once you hear them, but not necessarily simple to come up with. Um, And I think that's a great application. It's a great um, demonstration of how true innovation can be, where uh, it's just it's something like the wheel, right? I, I always use this example where once you hear about it, it becomes so obvious, but for the first person to create that, it's uh, it's a difficult leap. So David has done some of those things with some of his simple uh, prescriptive training methods. Uh, but then we look at the other side of things with inside where we're, we're digging deeper into the data. We have these scientific tools available. Um, so we might as well use them to help predict or help understand what our bodies are actually doing. And we're taking decades old training me- methodologies, which are known to work, but actually explaining why they work now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and to to talk about David a, bit, a little bit and, and give us some examples of what I think that I learned from from his, from talking with him is really one of the main things is the 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 concept that he has about uh, splicing workouts that you talked about i think in your interview as well to just give a certain set duration and a work to rest ratio let's say that uh, that you want to an athlete to do to do 15 minutes of work and uh, and you want them to do a one to one work to rest ratio you don't need to necessarily describe uh, prescribe five times three minutes on three minutes off you can just tell the athlete that well this is what you uh, what you have to do and you splice it up however you see fit and it might be 15 times one minute on one minute off or, or five times three minutes on three minutes on three minutes off and when you combine that with uh, the energy metabolism information that you may have especially if you have done the inside testing then you will start to realize why some athletes will do the 15 times one and some will do the five times three minute option uh, because some athletes may be really going very very deep into their anaerobic energy reserves when even for such a short interval as a three minutes interval and, and it might make it a very taxing workout for them and anything that you do above threshold is is so expensive so so that concept of splicing workouts uh, which helps even if you haven't done the testing an athlete will uh, intuitively hopefully choose an, op- an option that works for them that, that's that's something that i learned that i found was really really insightful and that i haven't thought about before but then there are a lot of other things about the just basic things about movement and and how everything stems from from quality movement and one of the examples is to maybe our we are overusing paddles and i actually recently re-listened to my interview with david after hearing your interview on, on your podcast and uh, and that, that comment about paddles i had forgotten about it and uh, and then i remembered it again and then i said 
well, I'm going to try this out. I'm going to stop using paddles for a while. So I have now been swimming without paddles for uh, for a few weeks, I would say. And uh, and I think I feel sort of a difference in, in my feel for the water. And at, at the very least, I'm swimming better than ever. I can't say that it's because I'm not swimming with paddles at all anymore. But but I do think that it makes sense in, in the way that he describes that we are not swimmers. We have a limited swim volume compared to the swimmers as triathletes. And then making some of that swimming, the kind of swimming where you do not really work on that feel for the water is sort of a waste of time. So so that's something, another example of, of how these things, it, it doesn't all have to be technical. It doesn't all have to be like super fancy, but our sport, it stems from movement and from quality movement. The more quality movement you have, the better you're going to be all else being equal so so hearing the importance of some of those things and how you can actually work on them with practical applications that david talked about in those interviews that's one things that i the other main thing that i took from from those interviews yeah he does a good job of striking a balance between you know between kind of the the engine or the metabolism um and the he calls it the chassis right the you know the the peripheral the peripheral systems and the the ability of those of those you know the working muscles to actually use all of this metabolic energy to do useful work and be efficient in doing it yeah yeah absolutely and and that's something that uh that i quite often have to explain to athletes because especially the ones that listen a lot to the podcast get very much i wouldn't say obsessed but but really focused on on the engine the physiology the metabolism and completely forget about the chassis and uh, the things that tend to be read in their training peaks are those all important strength training sessions and uh, and and it's it's something that is uh, so important for athletes to realize that you can have the best engine in the world, but if you put it in a chassis, that's not uh, that's not conducive to to producing the movement and and actually using that energy in a non wasteful way to to propel you forward. Then you're you're just not going to be as good as you could be. Absolutely, no, totally agree. This is actually a bit of a follow up to what Andrew asked you first, Michael, about um, uh, finding subjects for your interviews. And so in the early going, sure, you know, you're, you're trying to get who you can get. Um, but now that you've got, you know, you're, you're fairly reasonably well known in the, in the, at least the triathlon podcast sphere, um, you're becoming more of a, of a trusted resource. And I think a lot of people, and I count myself as one of them, um, a lot of folks uh, sort of see you as a, um, as a filter or a first place to go for, for some of this information. And they're like, well, what's Michael listening to? Maybe I should pay attention to this also. Now that you're now that you are where you are, how do you decide um, who to approach or who to talk to? And uh, as a as kind of a follow up to that question, what do you see as some of the you know the exciting uh, goings on in either you know physiology, technology? Pick your pick your topic in uh, triathlon in the last uh, twelve months or the next twelve months. So th- that's a great question, and uh, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the word filter because I have that question here in my notes, and uh, and in the notes that I made for how to answer that question, I, I used the word filter not just once, <laughs> uh, but I am very selective actually in in who I choose to interview, and definitely becoming more and more selective. I have some interviews that I did in the past that I would not do today for sure for various reasons. Uh, and now what it's com- coming down to is that I actually I do some interviews, record some interviews that I end up not publishing because the quality, and by that I don't mean the audio, but I mean the, the content isn't good enough or not relevant enough for, for the listeners. Uh, so, so I definitely 
think that I'm, I'm getting more and more selective in, in, in the guests, but also that after the fact, if, if something is for whatever reason, it's not, uh, it's, it's not relevant or, or good quality content that I feel comfortable sharing with the listeners, then I'm not going to, to publish it. So, so the, the way that I approach things is that I definitely go for people and, and not uh, people first, topic second, and not the other way around. So a good example is a recent interview that I did with Professor Andy Jones from uh, from the University of Exeter, and he's been in the in the endurance sport academia for such a long time, and in the uh, the applied field, working with Eliud Kipchoge and and Paul Radcliffe among others. So uh, so so we could talk about tons of different topics. Uh, so so the way that I approach him is not to say that hey, I want to talk about this topic and, and I think you would be good. I, I know that he would be good as a person because he has, has such ex- extensive knowledge both in academia and in, in coaching or in applied sports science that, that I want him, him on the podcast. And then, of course, I'm going to pick some topics and some, some questions that we're going to discuss. But for me, it could just as well be choosing to use the entire interview on talking about marathon running, marathon training, or on nitrate loading, beetroot juice, that whole shebang and what ended up happening in this case was that we talked about a little bit of everything but but the important point here that i'm trying to make is that there are people that i that i follow that i know of or that i learn of that are very reputable and very knowledgeable and those are the people that i want to talk to and maybe i don't really know exactly what they're doing maybe they're recommendation from somebody i trust so maybe somebody like sebastian would recommend some i interview somebody then i'm going to reach out to them uh, because I know that if Sebastian recommends them, then they're probably going to be to be really good people to talk to. Uh, so, so, so that's the approach that I have uh, going with people first. And but then I always research, uh, of course, what they do and and what they've what they've done and what topics will be. Also, what their opinions are on different topic, and it's especially important in things like coaching, not necessarily academia, because then it's quite easy when you're just looking at the science see what somebody has published and and what the the conclusions are but in coaching it's a bit different and uh, and there are definitely i do want to act as a filter when when we have this these topics that can be sort of um i guess up for up up to personal opinion so so a good example here would be let's say you have somebody that tries to promote a a crossfit for triathletes program and and saying that all triathletes should be doing CrossFit because that will make them better triathletes. Well, then I actually know, or I have the firm opinion that that's not true. Uh, that that's definitely if somebody wants to be a better triathlete, then CrossFit is not something they should do. So, so I'm not going to interview that person, and maybe that's to some extent it's it's a personal bias, but but I think that the risk is that that it would be do more harm than good if I have an interview like that. Even if uh, I do think that I do want to voice different opinions, but I do draw the line at some point and and i do act as that filter so that crossfit for triathlon triathlon program that's not going to see the light of day on on my podcast because i know that that's that's just something that's not going to help anybody some people might actually think that it's good (laughs) so and go start doing it and think that it's going to help their triathlon i'm not saying that crossfit is bad by the way i'm just saying that my podcast is an endurance podcast so it's for triathletes mostly but also cyclists and runners and if it's not something that's going to help them be better endurance athletes then i'm really not that interested in in having it and i know from from my perspective crossfit is not going to help any triathlete they can use that time to do strength training sure and i have plenty of episodes on that but not in form of crossfit 
another example is the the whole nutrition thing and uh, yeah i'm going to be quite open about that that things like a ketogenic diet etc that are gaining popularity i've had some episodes on lchf before and those are some of the episodes that i sort of regret doing with everything that we know now that uh, that they're really sure there are outliers that make them work there's always going to be somebody who makes something work despite of whatever it's is they're, they're doing rather than because of it in, in many cases but but from for 95 percent of of reputable coaches and nutritionists would tell endurance athletes that that you should not restrict an, an important macronutrient like carbohydrate like that so so i'm not going to really try to promote i'm not going to promote that on my podcast either because that's going to cause some people to to do that and it's not going to do them any good in most cases in uh, for for 80 or 90 percent of the people anyway and and the reason that i draw these lines is that uh, for me it's pretty i mean i could talk to people and and maybe i can even i could probably gain some information like even gain a nugget from an interview like that even if it's something that i fundamentally don't believe in i could still gain a nugget so i would still be interested in in having that discussion but the problem is that, or for me, the uh, the advantage is that I interact with so many coaches and researchers and and scientists on a on an almost daily basis uh, that I can I can like draw the conclusions that of what is relevant and and what I should ignore. But it's more difficult for the listeners because where they get the information is more so from mainstream media and social media, and then the picture becomes quite blurry. So as you said. Uh, Coming back to what you said that uh, you consider that triathlon to be sort of trustworthy, that's what I strive for. And that's why I do have some f- clear filters in place. And and I'm all, it's always going to be a case-by-case basis. I don't have any. And when things change, if we get new knowledge, new science comes out, then things will change, of course. But, but I do have some, I, I do basically do my due diligence to make sure that whatever we're going to talk about, it's going to be relevant and helpful for the listeners in some way not all interviews are as helpful as as others but but it's not going to be directly harmful and uh, and completely irrelevant either hopefully so there's a lot of excellent points there um it'd be tough to uh to number them all off after that that was quite an answer but um i guess the one obvious thing that comes through is that you're uh, a very well-respected expert in a lot of these areas now, um, just because of your exposure and your insight into a lot of these different topics. So really, um, I guess, what's uh, what's the next the next big thing for triathlon? What do you see the, the science and the technology pushing us towards in terms of improving yourself as an athlete? Because ultimately, that's what everyone's after. They want to be a faster or better athlete or healthier athlete. So in your opinion, what's the, the next big thing? And I, I hesitate to ask it like that because it's kind of sensationalizing it. But uh, what do you think is the, the science that's really promising going forward? Um, I think for for most age groupers, actually, it's very simple and it's nothing new. I think that we're like very much all consumed with new gadgets and new technologies, but most age groupers are still not doing basic testing, not not getting into the lab, getting a VO2 max test or getting an inside test or getting a lactate test or something like that. And and if you don't know your your physiology, your metabolism, as we discussed, then that's the that's the basic for endurance performance so so i think from my perspective i really do want to stress the importance of that for the for the, for the age groupers in particular 
that, that that's something that's been available for a long time. It's improving, like things like inside is a new technology that's improving how we can do that, of course. But but the basic testing possibility has been has been there for years and years, and and I think that that's something that uh, before we get too uh, too focused on new technologies, I think that we should make use of the ones that we already have that are already known to to work. And there is a reason that professional athletes they do go and and get those tests. But in terms of new technology and new new science, I think in terms of technology, I'm I'm sure that you know a lot more about this than than me, Andrew, and and probably Michael too. But I'm excited for maybe getting those uh, those live aero sensors to work uh, <laughs> to to get live CDA numbers. I'm not sure how how close we really are to uh, to making them like really really useful and and really accurate. So so that's maybe a different discussion. But if if we can make that work that, that would be quite uh, quite interesting and and in terms of uh, of science I, I really have to have to think here i mean i think one thing that would be pretty useful that and that is maybe a pipe dream more so than a, a reality for for the near to to midterm future but there is so much data available now on platforms like training peaks and strava etc that if we could could sort of do some sort of uh, of crowdsourced uh, sci- scientific studies on on how people are training and how that's helping them. It would be very difficult to to design something like that, but it could be done. I think that that could uh, probably bring bring sports science one one big step forward because of the the amount of of data that you have. And and rather than having twelve male college students aged twenty two, we could have thousands of people of wide demographics that are part of a, a study, even though it's not necessarily a controlled study, but it could be a, a, a retrospective uh, study to, to see what's what's working. The way that people like Steven Seiler has been doing on uh, on elite uh, elite athletes in, in smaller samples, mind you, but, but still something like that would be really exciting if it could be done. I really like the implications of big data. Um, there's a lot of privacy concerns, obviously, but um, I really think that's the, west, the best way to understand a population um, just by, by taking the data. As long as it's reliable data, that's the only problem. If you get, um, say, someone has a heart rate monitor that's not working properly or their power meter isn't calibrated correctly. But uh, aside from that, getting the big data aspect and being able to analyze it effectively I think is really the next step forward because as, as you mentioned, all the studies focus on a very specific age group. It's usually what's available where the the study is being done. Um, And typically it focuses on males instead of females. And that's just again, availability and people willing to do the study. So uh, it is a huge limitation. Um, But I think going forward, yeah, looking at at some of those um, collaborative or the crowdsourcing of the, the data platforms is a fantastic idea. And to touch upon something that you said uh, about, you know, using the old technology of testing to to improve what you're doing, uh, Michael, I, I couldn't agree more. But I think the, the what has changed in, well, maybe the last <clears throat> five or seven years is that the, the tools required to do at least, you know, basic testing and with, with inside, you get really much, much more detailed testing are becoming much more available. And that, by that, I mean, power meters for... Uh, for cycling. And then, you know, you're starting to see power meters for running as well in the last couple of years. And uh, those tools make testing that much more accurate and that much more useful. Uh, even if you're just doing field testing, like even if you didn't, even if you didn't do an inside test, if you did, you know, a critical power test uh, using a properly calibrated power meter, you could get quite a bit of information um, just from that kind of testing. 
So I think that's where, if, if anything, if there's been a change, that it's the availability of the technology that allows you to, to test well. Yeah, for sure. And, and you, can, you can do field tests like that. You, you can do a classic field tests and, uh, and get quite a lot of information from that as well and, and use it pretty well. I think, though, that uh, the, the danger in that has been, and this is definitely a recent development, that we, we get obsessed with these vanity metrics, vanity FTPs, and uh, et cetera. And, totally. uh, and that then hinders progress in training. So we need to remember always that uh, testing is just a tool to, to make training effective and, and then perform on race day. Race day is where it's all, what it all comes down to. So, so that's, I think, what, what needs to be communicated very clearly. And, and that's, I think, where in recent years, like a lot of things have been going wrong for, for a lot of athletes. Uh, so because they, they maybe are constantly training too hard because of vanity FTP that is way above where it actually should be. Yeah, that's a constant struggle for sure. I mean, I think, the, and, and people get discouraged when that number doesn't go the way they want to go. And, um, there's a very large psychological component to, uh, to managing the process. Definitely. And I actually, just the other day, I listened to an interview with Katie Zafiris, who, for those who don't know, is the number one female triathlete in the world right now, uh, on the Olympic distance, sprint distance, uh, WTS World Triathlon Series cycle. She's coached by Joe, uh, Joel Filial, by the way. Uh, who I mentioned as my favorite interview, uh, she she was interviewed on a podcast and uh, and it struck me how much she focuses on the pros- process and, and how that's something that she's constantly developing and seem to become more and more process oriented and uh, and I think that it's it's so important. It's also something that I'm changing in my own in my own training and, and racing especially and trying to uh, to instill in my in my athletes, especially those that tend to have a bit of a lower self-confidence and self-confidence issues, then focus on the process becomes all the more important. And, and I think for anybody, it's, uh, if, if you have the right, the right process goals in place, then, then that's going to be advantageous above a two uh, outcome-focused uh, approach. All right. Well, why don't we just move on to one final question and then wrap things up? What's next for that triathlon show? What do you see in the future for you? Definitely, the podcast will remain the uh, the main content content outlet. I would like to experiment with some other formats as well, so something like YouTube or Instagram TV or Facebook Live. I'm kind of interested in the video platforms. Uh, I, I don't quite know, to be honest, and uh, and most likely this could only happen when I when I bring somebody on to to help with these things because I'm pretty stretched <laughs> as it is. Uh, on on the business side uh, for scientific triathlon. I am uh, definitely planning uh, to bring on more coaches. Uh, right now, it's just me and uh, my coaching partner, James Teagle, uh, who is an elite triathlete uh, based in the UK. And uh, so actually, if somebody listening is a, is a coach and feel a strong alignment with the brand, feel free to reach out. Although I'm not like actively looking right now, but sort of passively looking. And, and it's something that is going to happen in the, in the short to mid-moderate uh, term future. And... Uh, and personally, I, I do have the goal of coaching some professional triathletes as well. So uh, I don't take on any any age group uh, coaching clients at the moment. But I do have uh, I do leave some space in case any professional athletes come on because that's sort of the uh, the goal that I have in my coaching to to move in in that direction to coach professional or aspiring professional athletes. So age groupers that want to take the step to to become a professional. Uh, but going back to the podcast, I, I don't think that anything is changing, although I always take listener feedback. So 
so what sorts of episodes I do, how the episodes are structured, etc. That might change if if I get feedback about something. I'm always happy to take take suggestions like that. So, uh, but but other than that, I see it continuing. And uh, right now, I do well. I have been doing since the start. I've been doing two or three episodes per week. I've been back to two for quite a long time because three was just a bit too much. But every Monday and Thursday, there's a new episode, and. Uh, I really don't need to do that much, uh, that many episodes. It, it makes no sense if you think of it from a time management or financial perspective or, or anything like that. I, I should be doing much less, but I just do it because I get so much great feedback and so many countless emails from people with stories that how the podcast helped them. And I know that for every email that I get, there's probably 10, of, uh, 10 other stories like that out there that, that I don't hear about. So that's so motivating to me. And, and that's why I keep pushing out the podcast at such a rapid rate, I guess, because I, it's just like, it's so, it may not be in alignment with my, with my work schedule and my work life balance, but it's in alignment with what I want to achieve, which is to help uh, the maximum number of, of travelers in the world that I can. So, uh, so that's, uh, that's really why I love the podcast so much because it has given me a platform to do that. That's awesome, Michael. I'm uh, I'm gonna write you an email now saying how uh, how a tri- uh, how scientific triathlon and uh, and that triathlon show has uh, has helped me evolve as a as a as an athlete and a coach. So look out for that. <laughs> Thank you. I'll be, I'll be staying up. It's getting later, but I'll be staying up waiting for that. <laughs> um, well, listen. Uh, before we wrap up, what are the what are the race goals for next year? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, I, I still have this year's racing uh, going on. Oh, this year's racing. What are you doing? So I'm doing, the main two races that I have left are 7.3 Worlds in Nice in uh, the beginning of September. And uh, yeah, I just want to have a really good performance. It's difficult to say who's going to turn up, so I'm not going to put any any position goals for that. But then I have three weeks later, I have Ironman 7.3 Kashkai. So that's my one of my home races and a really good race. And I want to go there and try to defend my title So because I won my age group last year. And uh, and hopefully place in like the top top five top three in the overall age group ranks something like that and beat my time from last year so so those would be the goals. Those are awesome goals, well, Michael. Um, if there's anything you want to plug, obviously we'll uh, we'll put links in the show notes to that triathlon show and scientific triathlon. Um, anything else that you want us to mention? Well, yeah, I have a new Instagram account that I want to get some followers to. <laughs> so it's very small at the moment, but it's Scientific Triathlon HQ. I, I enjoy that pra- platform at the moment and trying to uh, become a bit more uh, more active there with some good triathlon content. So so go and follow uh, follow me there as well. I think that it's going to be the, the main social media platform that I use as well. So uh, yeah, go, go and follow us there. For sure. And obviously anyone who's listening, we highly recommend Michael's show. That's something that uh, that both, well, co-host Michael as well as well as myself have listened to for quite a while and it's fantastic podcast. So um, if you haven't listened to it yet, uh, you should do so. Uh, So with that, thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, It's been fantastic chat. Great to talk about the technology and the sport and your, your background with everything. Thank you both. It was uh, great to be here. Thank you. And uh, thanks everybody for listening until next week. I hope that you found that interview interesting to listen to. Uh, it uh, wasn't the normal kind of that Raffron Show episode for sure, because uh, maybe not so much talk about how to improve your performance in training and racing, although I hope that you managed to managed to pick up a few nuggets or at least uh, some recommended episodes to go back and listen to if you haven't already. 
Of course, I'll link in the episode description and the show notes to all the episodes and resources mentioned. So uh, just to list them briefly again, in case you missed it, my favorite episodes that I mentioned, favorite episode being Joel Filial, and then honorable mentions to Sebastian Weber, Adil Tweiten, and Stacey Sims. And you probably guessed it already, but the injury I referred to when I said that in an upcoming episode, uh, I might get some new aha moments, and that was Shannon Grady, as uh, you've heard probably a couple of, a few weeks ago by the time that this interview goes out. One small thing that I noticed when re-listening to this episode is that we recorded it a couple of months ago, as uh, you will understand, so some things are not quite current. And uh, the one thing that uh, I picked up on was that I mentioned that there are two scientific triathlon coaches, James Teagle and myself. And obviously, as you've heard very recently, we are now three with uh, Lachlan Kirin having joined the team recently. Once again, check out the Endurance Innovation podcast by Andrew and Michael. And uh, you can also check out Andrew on Stack or Four Eyes because Four Eyes recently acquired Stack. And Michael at X3 Training on the internet and on social media. We'll link to them and their previous interview as well here, which was episode 47 on the Stack Virtual Wind Tunnel. So thank you finally, Andrew and Michael, for letting me replay the interview here. I really do appreciate it. And thank you, of course, to our sponsors that keep the show going. First, we have Roka that you can find on roka.com. Check out their wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, buoyancy shorts, and high-performance eyewear and get 20% off your entire order with the promo code TTS, all caps. And thank you to Precision Hydration that you can find on precisionhydration.com. Take their free online sweat test to get an individualized hydration strategy and get your first box or tube for free with the promo code DATTRIATHLONSHOW, all on word, all caps. Or take 20% off your entire order with the promo code DATTRIATHLONSHOW20. Another Q&A will be out on Thursday, so hit subscribe so that you remember to listen in then. And until that, thank you as always for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlons.